In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Arizona. Yes, I'm still in Arizona, and I'm here with my co-host, Ian. Ian, how are you, sir? I am good. I am luckily dodging a little bit of a snow front that was moving from the uh, Kansas City area through, like, looks like central Ohio and stuff. So we're dodging that on our end here in Chicago. Well, the live update from uh, my side is I've got my shorts on. I'm walking home from uh, Scottsdale to the hotel or my friend's sofa. And uh, you may hear some cars in the background because I am actually walking on a freeway. Google Maps says it's a one-hour walk. So we've got lots of time to do a podcast. Do they not have an Uber? Yeah, I like walking though. So, uh, yeah, if anyone sees me walking the streets of uh, Arizona with my Union Jack shorts, give us a beat. But um, I've actually just met Zane Gonzalez, the old kicker from uh, the Browns. How is uh, Zane doing? Yeah, you know, like, (laughs) he's a changed man, you know. I met his sister as well, who got death threats from the Browns fans. So, uh, um, but yeah, I think now that the Browns fans have kind of worked out that it was him that helped get rid of Hugh Jackson and they've got a better view of Zane Gonzalez. But, mate, he's kicking well, so... um, He's really good. And the first thing I've got to say about Arizona is I didn't realize how nice the weather is in December. It's been absolutely lovely. Oh, it's beautiful out there. It is a golfer's destination dream. Have you spent a lot of time out here? Yeah. So when I was at Ohio State, we actually played um, out in that area for, um, for some bowl games. So I was actually at the stadium in Tempe and then that stadium in Glendale um, and actually, Ohio State, the football team, is going to be out there in a couple of weeks. They're playing Clemson there at that this, exact this, stadium. This Saturday, I believe. Uh, next Saturday, the, tw- I, the 28th, so the following. It, and is that that's the different stadium to the one I went to today? No, same stadium. Same stadium? Correct. And uh, have you been to that stadium? I have. I was there in 2007 when Ohio State lost to Florida in the national championship. I've got to say, it's like a small Wembley, very similar. The roof opens up. As you walk in, the ground then drops. So, um, yeah, it was a really impressive stadium, actually. And uh, I think it's the first stadium where I've been inside. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's definitely a nice place to be. There's, I mean, it definitely was a fan favorite amongst Browns fans when it came to the uh, away games making sure that they could kind of mark one on their calendars. A lot of fans looked at that and said, I'm going to go out to Arizona for the game. Yeah, as I'm learning more and more about the the Browns and the Cleveland connections, you've got Carolina, Arizona, Denver, all hotspots for places for people from Cleveland to go and uh, retire and uh, maybe chill out. Absolutely. But tell us, what was the, uh, how many Browns fans were in the stadium? Was there a lot? 
I, I kind of worked out a 10 to 20% Browns fans. I was expecting, talking to Cardinal fans, they're going to be 50 to 60% Browns fans. Um, I, I expected more Browns fans than Cardinal fans, but it, it wasn't the case. I think noise-wise, we were quite equal. Um, obviously, away team, dog barking, etc. was quite loud. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not disappointed, but I, I, I thought, I don't know why, I just thought there was going to be a, a better ratio of Browns fans to uh, Arizona. Well, maybe they had some foresight in what was going to be coming on the field. So, well, we'll talk about that and we'll break down the uh, defense and offense uh, in a minute. But it, that first drive from the Cardinals, it was flat. The stadium was really quiet and probably the most quiet I've had a be or been in the stadium. And I was wondering, does the roof actually uh, make the stadium more quiet? I, don't think so. I'm guessing with a roof, the acoustics should be more louder and more amplified. Yeah, definitely when you have those stadiums that have the retractable roofs. I mean, you know, even Seattle has kind of that open air and they can get insanely loud. Arizona just has a lot of transplants, so they don't get too wild for their sports. Um, so that that's not shocking to hear that it was a little quiet. Yeah, I think as the game progressed their third downs got louder and louder. But, yeah, the atmosphere, I wasn't too impressed, to be fair. So and nothing like you had in Denver? No, nothing like in Denver. And um, But, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Obviously, um, I, I'll give you some real quick headlines. Uh, last night, I went to both Browns backers. The first one was Southwest Browns backers and... They had a couple hundred people there. Then I went to the Phoenix Browns backers in a bar and headquarters in the middle of kind of nowhere. And they had 500 people. And that was good fun. Ernest Finer and Eric Metcalf were there. And it was, it was a nice evening. It wasn't as crazy as New York where people are chucking shots down your throat. But it was, it was nice. It was met a lot of nice people, so that was good. And then this morning, McFadden's, there was a uh, Browns backers, and we had like breakfast, hot dogs, and more drink, and big area, about 1,200 Browns fans were there. And then walked all the way across the other side of the stadium, and then joined Larry and the rest of the Browns who were tailgating. So it's been quite a lot of movement with different places, different venues, but otherwise it's been a really nice time. The weather's just made it so easy. Well, that's awesome. I definitely want to get out to Arizona. Um, hopefully maybe one of these days I'll catch like a, a Buckeyes game or a Browns game out there. Cause I definitely do love it out there. It's been a few years since I've been out there. And uh, uh, tomorrow I'm going to go out hopefully to the mountains. So, uh, and see a bit more of a uh, bit more of uh, Arizona, which I'm quite excited about. And when do you fly back to London? I leave Arizona at four o'clock tomorrow. And then, uh, so I land, it's 11 hour flight, four o'clock. I land in London about nine o'clock on Tuesday mornings. Whew, you're a brave man. Straight, straight to work as well. So uh, anyway, we're not a travel show. We're not a uh, Arizona show. We're a Brown show. Let's, let's talk Browns. And I don't know where to start. I definitely want to finish up by asking, 
where did it, where's it all going wrong? But how do you think the offense did out of 10? I think the offense overall struggled. I think they at times could not get a rhythm. Um, so I'm going to go with a five for the offense. You know, that's quite high thinking in, in my head, you know. And some of the highlights for me was one of the last drives in the game when Baker took it down the field and we got a touchdown. And I know we said before the show, you said about the O-line looking better. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the, there was some times where I just felt like it felt so easy for the Cardinals to just take it from 10 yards to a touchdown. Then when we had the ball, it just we never felt like we were going to just take it all the way down to their uh, or to our touchdown. We definitely never had a, a good stranglehold on the game. And at the end of the day, the reason I give the five is, you know, when I, we get to the defensive ratings, I'll, I won't be nearly as kind. But at the end of the day, Baker did finish 30 of 43 for 247, um, two touchdowns and a pick. The pick was awful. I mean, he had Odell Beckham wide open. He missed him. He threw it high. Um, he was only sacked one time, ended up with a rating of 90. But ultimately, Nick Chubb just proved what an absolute animal he is on offense. He finished the game with 127 yards and 17 carries. And I know that fans, I know we can never have enough. We're not running the ball. We're not running the ball. You know, but offensively, we started off like we normally do. I mean, Aside from giving up a 10-play, 90-yard drive to start the game, we took the ball and went 10 plays of our own, now a little bit shorter, that ended in the Baker interception. But at the end of the day, whether we were running it or passing it enough, we moved the ball at will against them to open the game. We drove down the field. We put ourselves in the scoring zone. Baker airmailed the throw, and they intercepted it. The closest thing we had to a three and out ensued, but then we got the ball back on offense and we went three plays for two yards and punted. And it was one of those things where we really had to kind of counter the punch on offense that they gave us, open the game out. And I don't think that really came until the following drive when they went to seven plays, 83 yards, and it finished up with Nick Chubb um, running into the end zone, which was, you know, what we, what we expected. I mean, Arizona has a piss-poor defense, and Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the league. So we ran through them. The offense had rhythm. It just seemed like we couldn't sustain it because on the other side of the ball, we could not stop them from scoring. And if you think about it, we left probably a good 17 points on the, floor, on the, on the table. And with us putting up 24, this should have been an easy, easily a game where we were putting up over 30 points. So – that's why I no, gave I the get, offensive five. No, I get that. And it was very frustrating, obviously, going for the kicks, going for the punts, where we should have really got some touchdowns. And, yeah, Chubb was just absolutely – Oh, he's so an consistent. animal. He's consistently great. And, yeah, if, if he gets an injury, touch wood, he doesn't. But, yeah, we're going to be in serious trouble. I know we've got Hunt, but he is our Mr. Cons- consistent at the moment oh absolutely and if you think about it Nick Chubb really was out of the game by the time we kind of went into garbage mode and Nick Chubb ended the game with 17 carries 127 yards with a 7.5 yards per carry average wow I mean that is just I mean that's an elite level running back let's talk about tight end for a second because uh 
I was actually um, uh, sitting with, uh, was it Ricky Seals' girlfriend? Ricky Seals-Jones is the one that had the two touchdowns. Yeah, but he also had an interception as well, didn't he? So. Yeah, he had that one where it was stripped away. It was, I think it was a fumble. They ended up ruling it a fumble. Yeah. But um, one thing that um, I want to say at a time, where was Njuku? So before the game, he was listed as a healthy scratch. And we're probably not going to know the exact reason why. I saw Daryl Reuter put out there that he had struggled catching balls in practice. And the thing with Njoku, and one of the things that I just – it boggles my mind about him is he is freakishly talented when it comes to his athleticism, but I just don't know if he has the give a damn, you know, he needs to put himself in the George Kittle category. He needs to put himself in the category of nothing is more important than football. I don't know if he took his injury rehab serious. You know, I don't know how serious he takes his blocking schemes. It just seems like ever since he came back, he's, you know, especially against the Bengals when I was watching him, he didn't really want to block. He doesn't get involved. So if you're a liability and if the Browns are going to be a, a, a run-dominant team, they need blocking tight ends. And I just think that they probably said, you know what, we need to hold him accountable for his lack of effort, and they made him a healthy scratch. Because mm. I saw him yesterday. Uh, he, was on his, he was on his own, and uh... – yeah, he looked really positive. He looked, obviously, the size. I was like, wow. He's such a... Oh, he's a freak. Big athlete. You know, like, um, I've met him before in London, actually. But, obviously, he stood out with the, let's just say, normal people in the hotel. Yeah, yeah. he was, like, huge. But, yeah, it was just... Um, well, it was definitely a shocker to Browns fans. But what I find out is we see tight ends all over the league that are far less, far less athletic than him making an impact, making a difference in their games. And we just don't see that out of him. So I don't know if it's just something with him. He's young. He's, he's young. He's immature. I don't know what it is. Um, but you could definitely tell that he is not a fan favorite of this, this coaching staff. And I think that probably boils down to his, his effort and his dedication and wanting football first because he has all the tools. It's just going to come down to whether he gives a damn. But surely, mate, he's got the talent or and he's definitely someone that you're going to be wanting to at least work out whether he's going to be part of the plans next year or something. You just, he's a freak of nature. You, you, you know, he's a first-round pick. You know, he's mm-hmm. got... He was taking, got, you want to hear something crazy? Is we traded up to take him one pick ahead of the Steelers who took T.J. Watt. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forget conversations like this just because it's hindsight. You never know, you know. So, but yeah, it's, it's very frustrating because the player that we wanted that year, or I thought we were going to take, was Hooker, right? Malik Hooker? No, OJ is it OJ Hooker? Oh, OJ Howard, the tight end from. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, OJ Howard. Yeah. So uh, I, I thought we were going to take him, and I think obviously he went, and then we went with uh, Njuku. Yeah, and I really like Njuku coming out of Miami. I just haven't seen the growth and development out of him. And, you know, we still do have him for next year. And then we have the option to keep him for a fifth year. So there still is the opportunity to keep him in Cleveland for a minimum, you know, of two more years. Or I'm sorry, we can keep him two more years, minimum one more year. 
He just has to want it. You know, I think if he really dedicated himself to football and made sure he was stronger at the point of attack, made sure he was one of the best blocking tight ends in football and made himself an all-around player, he would be a player that would not come off the field. I just think he, he loves him some him. And I think until he starts putting football before himself, I think he's going to struggle to get some playing time because it just doesn't seem like football is the most important thing to him right now. It's an interesting thing. When I hire someone in recruitment, if they come from a good background, it's a real negative in the aspect of, is that person going to roll their sleeve up and grit and determination, you know, prove the world wrong? Maybe he's just had the cushy living with his rich parents. I don't know. I'm not going to judge on a podcast, but just a thought to think about, really. But anyway, let's, let's move on from there. And uh, the wide receiver room. If I'm correct, Ratley got the most receiving yards. No, he only ended up with two catches for 33 oh. yards. Beckham ended eight for 66, um, but most of those came towards the end of the game. There was at one yeah, point, okay. I think, Jarvis and Odell had combined for, I think, 35 yards in the game. Right, got you. And uh, on TV, how did Odell look? Odell looks like Odell. I think that I would have loved to see him come down with that um, – the one, I believe it was a second down pass right before the interception um, that hit him in stride when he was going into the uh, inside the 10-yard line. I would have loved to see him haul that one in. He didn't. And then, you know, we tried to go back to him. He made a great move on Patrick Peterson to get inside leverage, and then we airmailed it. So I think Odell played well. I mean, he's – He's not showing signs of a guy who's injured. I mean, he's showing signs of a guy who wants there. I mean, I don't know if you, you saw it at the end of the game. In garbage time, he took some big shots. I mean, yeah, if there's one that thing. A, that was a big hit. Oh, the one he took by uh, Cassius Marsh when he was coming across the field. I, I, don't, I, I mean, that was a giant hit. And then the one he caught just down to, I think, the two or the one-yard line, he got clobbered on that one. So, you know, we talk about Najoku and the give a damn, and we talk about a lot of that stuff. You know, I, I really actually have to applaud Odell because this is a game that was relatively out of, you know, out of the way at that point. And for him to be in there taking those type of hits and not just kind of mailing it in and saying, you know what, this game's over, I don't want to get hurt. I, I actually, he, he gained a lot of respect in my eyes for that because, you know, he was fighting to the bitter end. So uh, I appreciated that as a fan. Seemed like Landry was a bit more quiet today. Yeah, he was. And I don't think he, you know, I know there's a lot of video going on. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes. After he got tackled on the third and five a little short, um, Freddie made the decision to have Austin Seibert attempt that 45-yard field goal. And I do not think Jarvis Landry was on, on board with that decision. Um, he made it very vocal to Freddie. There was a little bit of a sideline thing about that. They asked Freddie about it afterwards, and he said, I love Jarvis. This is a guy who, you know, I really – I want all of them on my team that I can get. Um, so my guess is Freddie's going to own up and say, hey, this is just one of those things where I should I have went for it. I should have listened to my players. He didn't. So Jarvis got over 1,000 yards for the season, so that's good. Um, but definitely could have been more involved. I thought he was going to do a lot more in that slot matchup than he, than he did. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's move on to the defense, unless there's anything else you want to cover on the offense. 
You know, I think offensively it was just really a tale of them chasing a bad defensive performance. Um, they, they sputtered in and out with rhythm, which was pretty consistent. You know, they, they made some mistakes, the fumble by Ricky Seals-Jones, the interception by Baker. Um, but at the end of the day, they were their own worst enemy. And they, you know, they needed to do better to try to keep up with that bad, bad defensive performance. So with offense, not really much to talk about. I mean, Baker was average five, average. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's, let's stay with a five. Let's go defense. What number are you going to go for defense? What's the lowest possible number we can give? Zero. I give them a zero. Wow. The lowest it, ever score. It was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen. The team played with no, no guts. They were completely uninspired. They were lazy. I think there was maybe two guys on that defense that I thought really gave a damn. I thought Joe Schobert played hard, but it just goes to show when Joe Schobert is playing hard and the people around him are not, he's not going to make any flashy plays. He's going to miss tackles. He's going to have his own guys chip him off of tackles. Um, you know, the Browns ended with no sacks. They had one interception on a great play by Mac Wilson. But at the end of the day, the, um, sorry, the defense just overall was very subpar. The leading tackler was guys in the secondary, Greta Williams and Demarius Randall. Overall, just an absolute dismal performance. Well, okay, let's just talk about the D-line because there's no uh, – Vernon was inactive. Obviously, Miles Garrett, inactive. Chris Smith has left. So, I'm, not, I'm, I'm here now thinking, who was our strongest defensive end? Chad Thomas? Defensive end? Yeah. Honestly, the guy that I saw made the most plays today was Brian Cox, and that was saying something. Yeah. Um, Chad Thomas was an aberration today. I think he was out there, but from a QB pressure standpoint, he didn't do much. He was pretty much just another guy today. I can't believe from how much strength we had off-season. Like, I was struggling to pick the six best defensive ends. Oh, absolutely. We were talking about we guys like Zettel that we are going to have to cut. Yeah. It's... They'd be starters. Yeah, it's crazy. There's no okay. doubt that this, that this defensive line right now is full of practice squad guys. Sheldon Richardson, I thought, you know, I thought he played well. Um, he did all he could do. But I'm just going to tell you, Larry Ogunjobi has fallen off of a cliff since Miles Garrett's been gone. So I think the odd part about this Browns D-line is Miles Garrett has made himself more money because once you take him off this defensive line, it takes guys like Ogan Joby, Sheldon Richardson, Chad Thomas, all these guys, and makes them average. I mean, without that dominant pass rusher, they just do not have a lot. And it showed today. Kyler Murray had all day to sit back there. He ran around a little bit. We lost containment on the edges. Um, we gave up big plays. Just to give you an idea of how bad the defense was, one of the Achilles heels of the Arizona Cardinals coming into this game was how quickly they would have a three and out and bring their defense back on the field. 
They had zero three and outs today. The only three-play drive they had ended with the interception by Mac Wilson. And the only time we even held them to four plays was right after the interception. They went four plays for 34 yards. And if you remember right, the first play after that, I believe they got 28 yards on a um, the Christian Kirk play. So while we had them back up, they went four plays that were able to still push the field. So crazy. just overall terrible performance by the defense. Yeah. Well, uh, we've talked about obviously how uh, the linebackers were and the D-line. Let's talk about cornerbacks. Ward had a bit of an ankle problem halfway through the game. How do you think him and Greedy did? I mean, when Greedy is your leading tackler, that's a bad day. That means that guys are catching the ball on you. I think they completed passes at will. I think that the secondary gets exposed when you have no pass rush, and it did. Uh, Demarius Randall's too busy doing jumping jacks in the end zone, trying to get a false start, which, yes, everybody in the stadium saw that it was a false start. But Demarius Randall, your job is to not give up on a play. If you go back and watch, he's pointing, he's pointing. He turns, jumps up in the the air like a child. They run the ball in for a touchdown. So, Demarius Randall, how about you actually play football instead of worrying about what is a false start or not? Go make the tackle, which he did not do. I thought red wine, he was subpar game out of him. Uh, he could have done more. With yeah, that I didn't see much out of him. I thought TJ Carey struggled at times. Basically, the route that Arizona was running, they were just running nice comebacks on the outside. Kirk hit it a bunch of times. That uh, Demarius Bird or whatever his name is, he roasted him uh, a few times on that route. I mean, it was really an easy day for Kyler Murray. I think he ended 19 of 25, 220 yards. So, an he, easy pitch and catch day for him. He was running around a bit like Lamar Jackson at times. Just Well, he moves the pocket because their offensive line isn't very good. So, when he's able to move, because for him it's very hard to sit back there and see because he's not the tallest guy in the world. So, when you have no pass rush and the quarterback can move left or right and see everything he wants to see on the field, it becomes a very easy game. And, you know, it just – it was a very easy game for him today. Oh, so we're going to give it a zero, yeah? Worst zero. ever performance. Terrible. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question now. In all your years of watching the Browns, have you ever seen a defense as bad as that today? So I will make it relative. The short answer is probably, but the problem is, is the Browns have talent on defense. And what made it as bad, you know, when, when I was sitting here watching 0-16 performances or 1-15 performances, I saw guys that tried that played inspired football that just weren't talented. But when I watch this team and, you know, obviously it's a direct indication, some of coaching and some of the players, but I just saw a very uninspired defense. I saw guys that just looked like they just didn't want to be there, that they were just going through the motions. I mean, at this level of football, guys know how to tackle, but chicken wing effort on defense when it comes to tacklings, not really wanting to get in there. I mean, Cassius Marsh had no problem laying Beckham out coming across the middle. Do you even remember a hit today on the Browns' defense that was any sort of an aggressive hit? No, I don't. Exactly. It was like everything was okay. He's running by me. I'll try to punch the ball out. I'll try to strip it. Football 101. If you want to watch how that happens, go watch the Steelers tonight. 
when somebody grabs the player to make the tackle, then you'll see T.J. Watt try to punch the ball out. He doesn't try to punch the ball out of a guy running past him. I just think that it was a, a lack of fundamentals and just overall an embarrassing performance by the defense. And I know still Steve Wilkes isn't happy. And at the end of the day, he takes the responsibility for it. I get it. But at the same, at same time, these players have to have pride. And you have to go out there and want to do something. You know, if you need a coach to inspire you to make a tackle, then maybe we need to get some new players. Do you think, though, like, just the heat? Well, it's not that, it wasn't that hot, but do you think no. just the traveling so far west affected them and just a, a poor start? And Or do you think oh. it's uh, fundamentals that are being badly taught by the coaching or just the talent's not there? I think it's an effort thing. I don't. I, I think teams travel east, west to London to Mexico. Teams do this all the time. Defense comes down to effort. Tackling is about effort. You know, coverage is technique. The Browns. You know, when it comes to Greedy Williams staying on a receiver's hip pocket, that is a technique. When it comes to guys Ole tackling, that is simply them not giving a damn. And. I think that that's an indication to John Dorsey, who, you know, made the statement about getting real football players. Well, unfortunately, I think when they go back and watch the tape on this one, you're not going to see a lot of real football effort out there because it was, it was just so, it was so frustrating to watch because you see guys, you have talent, you have greedy, you have Denzel, you have Demarius, Schobert, you know, Justin Burris has played well. You have talent. They just didn't give a shit. They just didn't want to be there. Mm. All right, well, we've got to move on, otherwise we'll be here all night. Special teams? You know, Seibert, he was coming on, and then, of course, he misses the one kick that we need him to make. Um, whether or not he should have been out there or not, that's for here nor another day. I will give the special teams a six. I thought uh, Scottish Hammer's first punt, was good. I think he almost hit 50 yards on that one. Um, the second one was more like I said, the Scottish rubber mallet. That was a pretty shank. Uh, Dontrell Hilliard on returns. Didn't do, we did pretty good on kick coverage. Um, our return game was pretty piss poor. Uh, Dontrell Hilliard, they did actually, Zane did a great job at putting the ball at the one yard line and forcing them to come out with it. Um, Dontrell Hilliard did nothing impressive. Seibert missed a kick. You know, Gillum averaged a 41-and-a-half-yard average, just overall six. I don't think Mike Prefer is going to be uh, bragging much about that one. I don't think they played terrible, but they, just, they didn't make any game-changing plays. You know, there wasn't a block kick. There wasn't a, you know, big return to fire up the offense. There wasn't – you know, we didn't make any plays on special teams to kind of give the team a jolt. Yeah, it was a real shame Cyber that missed that kick. It was just uh, a real game-changing moment where we needed the points. We needed yeah, to, we needed to, to cut it to a one-score game. Yeah, we needed the touchdown, and you're obviously missing that. And yeah, I think five-six is 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 fair. But um, Hilliard returning, I just don't feel it. Um, obviously, in preseason, we saw a lot with Hilliard, you know, and we expected high things like pushing out Hunt and Chubb for more time, more snaps. But, yeah, I can see him being cut this year. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's provided the flash. Um, I do know that the Browns front office is really, you know, enamored with Kareem Hunt. I know he's done a fantastic job in the locker room. Um, so that's good to hear. And hopefully he's part of their long-term plans because I think having those two guys as kind of the backbone gives you the opportunity to maybe let a guy like Dontrell Hilliard go because you're just not getting much out of him right now. All right, let's, uh, let's ask the million-dollar question now. Ian, what do you think is going wrong? I think the Browns have one of their more talented rosters in the last 10 years. And I think what happens is we are starting to learn that the more talent you have, the more problems that you can arise from that. And when you have a guy like Freddie Kitchens, who's a player's coach, I think a lot of times players are taking advantage of the relationships he has. And listen, I'm, I was a very emotional player. I was a very passionate player on the field when I was out there. Never in my career had I screamed at a coach like, for example, Jarvis Landry, and I get it. He's frustrated, and I'm not sure. I don't think that Freddie Kitchens is going to hold some long grudge on him. But you don't do that. You don't show your coach up when you know there are hundreds of cameras in an NFL locker room. You know, if you got an issue with your coach, that's something you can voice in a better way. And I think the problem with this team is there's so much drama regarding what's going on off the field that guys stop giving a shit about what happens on the field. You know, for example, I tweeted out earlier, somebody asked Odell Beckham if he was going to be shutting it down. for them. And my argument is, why, why are we asking a question to him about that after a game? You know, are, are you, was, did he aggravate an injury? Did something happen that we don't know about? Or did you, in essence, try to think of a nice way to say, hey, Odell, the team's losing. Do you want to quit on your team? And I think yeah. the problem is, is we're more focused on the shit that goes on with Jarvis and Freddie or Odell and his watch or Odell in this report. And listen, I'm not saying that they don't bring it on the oh, They absolutely do. But you don't have a culture in that locker room that Freddie and John Dorsey and them have instilled where that shit doesn't happen. I mean, we saw it last week where Baker's commenting on another player's injury. I mean, there's just certain rules. There's certain, you know, respects that are just not being followed. And Freddie has to get this under control. And I know the report came out before that he was going to be retained. But at the end of the day, he's got to figure out how to control that locker room. Because right now, you have a bunch of, a bunch of individuals who are playing like it. And, you know, I thought the O-line today played as best that it could do. But the run game went, and then the individuals on the outside didn't. Whether that's an Odell, it doesn't matter. They're not playing as a team. They don't play as a team. They're out of sync. It's, it, it's one, two, three. And then you get guys like Najoku, and you get guys like, you know, that are Demarius Randall, who are so much about themselves that it takes away from the team. And ultimately, that shows. You know, again, I watched the Buffalo Bills versus Pittsburgh Steelers tonight. And I saw two teams with far less talent than the Browns have. On the, on the, the Steelers defense has some talent. But at the end of the day, if you stack up those names, the Browns are more talented than both those teams. Yet both of those teams play significantly better as a unit. 
you know, it's not necessarily the names on the back of the jerseys. It's playing for the pride. It's playing for the name on the front. And I think right now the entire team is so worried about a brand. It's so worried about the nonsense, the shit that doesn't matter. They're so focused on all the stuff they cannot control. But instead, focus on what you can control. Focus on your play. Let's not worry about Hollywood Higgins. If Hollywood Higgins doesn't want to play special teams, then sit your ass on the bench. Because Kadero Hodge does. Damian Ratley does. I would much rather have guys like that out there who want to help the team, who are willing to do whatever they can to make the team win. And I don't think we have a lot of guys like that. And that falls on John Dorsey. You may have some real football players, but you have a lot of assholes and selfish players as well. And that's what's coming across. I've got to say, one thing that I spotted was body language. At the end of the game, Freddie walked off uh, behind uh, JW, um, Haslam's daughter's uh, husband. The executive vice president, yeah. Jimmy Haslam's yeah. in law. So yeah, he was he was there, and they walked off together. Well, not didn't walk off together, but it was GW, Freddie following. None of Freddie's staff coming up to him or following with him, and then obviously the team gradually came off afterwards. So I wonder if Freddie's in his own little bubble at the moment, in his own little world, and feels a bit lost. And yeah. Well, I'm not saying that. And I'm I, not saying that he hasn't got the dressing room, but what I'm saying is, you know, like the the, the they're not doing coaches, him any favors. Yeah, the coaches haven't come up to him like going, like talking straight after the game, going, I don't understand why this play didn't work. I didn't understand why, you know, like how are we in the situation. He actually walked off on his own, you know, reflecting everything on his own. So uh, yeah, I really wonder where he is at as our coach. I think Freddie is an emotional guy. I really do. And, you know, for a lot of people, I don't think there's a good understanding when it comes to what the head coach does, what his responsibilities are. You know, the day-to-day coaching, the technique and stuff like that primarily falls on position coaches. And they need to make sure that they're all on the same page. You know, Todd Munkin needs to make sure that the offensive staff is teaching similar principles. And I will say, James Campen has done a phenomenal job the last couple of weeks in getting that O-line to play. I know Kendall Lamb stepped out today with an injury, but then Hubbard stepped in, and I actually didn't think he played all that bad. So, you know, other than the one play where I'm not sure Dem- Baker or Demetrius Harris or somebody had a little miscue. Harris, I think. Yeah. yeah it, it just Freddie, – Freddie is a first-time head coach. He is a first-year head coach. He has been on the job for less than one year. And, you know, I think a lot of times we forget what happens when you, when you start a new job. As good as you can, we're just talking about you hired somebody in, you know, how well are they going to do in the first year? Are they still finding their fit? You know, I know that there's been a lot of reports out there that there's certain members of management that are really pro-Freddy and some that are anti-Freddy. And I get that. Like, Freddie just has a way about him. That Southern charm that everybody fell in love with is also Southern don't give a damn. And Freddie's going to do things his way. They asked him again afterwards about his job security. I think Tony Grossi did. He goes, I don't care. I'm here. I got to be here Monday. And, you know, as a fan, you flew 11 hours from London to, to Phoenix to watch the game. 
And you invest probably more hours as a fan than most of us do. Most of us read a couple things during the week, listen to a radio broadcast, we maybe put in four to five hours a week. Let me remind you that an NFL head coach is putting in 90, 100, 110 hour weeks every single week. Can you imagine Freddie Kitchen walking off that field knowing how much time, energy, and effort away from your wife, away from your kids to watch your team play that poorly? That has to be a gut-wrenching feeling to know that you just spent all that time to get your team ready. They didn't help you out. And now guess what? Come tonight. I can tell you right now, as we're recording this, Freddie Kitchens is watching film. Freddie Kitchens is doing something to try to make the Cleveland Browns better. And that same passion does not exist in the locker room with all the players. I think we all know there are certain players that are probably going that extra mile and certain ones that aren't. And it's John Dorsey's job to find us more players that give a damn. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. And uh, maybe you hit the nail on the head, you know. Obviously, the first point of call that everyone's blaming is Freddie. But some of these players have to stand up. And uh, I think, obviously, Showbert's going to be a podcast on its own, talking about why he's not been uh, signed up yet. Or, as sources say, that he's not been offered a contract or been discussions yet. But there's a lot of players that will be leaving this club in December. So I can, I can tell you, I know that there was a couple people out there that were talking about it. Um, the Browns are interested and have engaged Joe Schobert's side with talks. There's mutual interest in getting that deal done. The, the technical side is the Browns have technically not made him an offer. However, the agent has been in touch with the Browns and they are discussing, but at this point, the market's not going to change between now and whenever they want to get a deal done. So I do know that the Browns are interested in bringing back Joe Schobert. I just do not know at what price or when it's going to get done. Does that 100% mean he'll be back next year? No. But if they can figure out a number, I do think that Joe Schobert will be a Cleveland Brown for several years to come. Well, Ian, I'm uh, I'm making serious, serious time on this walk home. I'm going to give you the floor. Anything else you want to finish up on? You know, it's definitely been a disappointing season, and I know all Browns fans are frustrated. I mean, we are a very passionate fan base, and I know – We have two games left, though. Two games left, and we can finish 8-8. Exactly. You need – at this point, you know, if I'm Freddie Kitchens and I'm walking in there, at at this point it's not about playoffs. It's not about contracts. It's not about anything other than pride. And I think that Freddie needs to figure out a way to really – pull at the heartstrings of pride because I watched Odell Beckham get his head, almost get his head knocked off twice because that's how bad he wants to win. So if we can take that infectious attitude and that pride in the game and spread it throughout the locker room, then we're the last two games may be positive. And listen, Baltimore's already clinched. The Steelers have lost. So we don't know if we're going to see Lamar Jackson. We know the, the damn Falcons beat the 49ers today. So you know, all this stuff about we're going to get destroyed by the Ravens and all this other stuff, you got to play the game. So I just want to see, and listen, the Browns could go out next week and play the best game of the season and lose to one of the best teams in the NFL. But if, if they put forth the effort they put forth today, it's going to be an incredibly terrible offseason because I just want a team to go out there and play like, play like they give a shit, play like it matters. 
play with some passion, make a play, punch a ball out, you know, do something to fire your team up. If you're on special teams, get a big return. It just today we put up 24 points. And like you said, the whole game, was flat. it never seemed like momentum was in our favor. Every time we had a chance to flip it, we didn't, you know, and, we're, you know, obviously we're going to be at the Bengals game last game of the season, so that'll be very interesting to see. We might have possibly have two teams with nothing to play for. But at this point, I really want to start looking at the guys that I want on this team long term, and that starts with effort. You know, Porter Gustin isn't the greatest player in the world, far from it. But I will say the guy does try. I'll give him that. His, his effort is relentless. He did a lot more today on the field than Chad Thomas did. I'll tell you that. All right, Ian, well, look, I'm going to – let's end it here. There's so much more to discuss this week, so much more to discuss around the roster, how it's going to look for next year. Two games left. Got to be positive. Eight and eight is an improvement, and the Steelers did lose tonight, and we are officially still in the chase. Yeah, mathematically, we're still there. And, you know, this is kind of – I usually start this early in the season, but I'm going to start doing my, uh, my NFL draft stuff. I, I, you know, I love college football, and I watch a lot of it. Um, I will just tell you, Browns fans, there's one guy that I really like, and I think he would be a good fit on this team. Um, his name is Isaiah Simmons. He plays for Clemson. He'll be playing against Ohio State, uh, number 11. He's a linebacker hybrid safety. Um, so for all the draft people out there, uh, when the Buckeyes suit up on the 28th against Clemson, keep your eyes on number 11. The, 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 the question is, we're, we're drafting 14th, I think, right this second. Yeah, we'll yeah, be in the middle of the round. Yeah. We, we've, we've so got to take O-line first, surely. You know, it's, it is a good question. But the problem is, is if the best player on your board is a player that can be impactful on defense, because, you know, I watched an offensive line today that played good enough to win. I watched an offensive line um, – was it a couple of weeks ago that played bad enough to lose? So it's just one of those things where the Patriots don't ever seem to invest any high picks on these offensive linemen. So if we can find guys that are schematically a fit, that defense needs some players. So the big struggle is going to be offensive tackle or defensive playmaker. And, you know, at right now, I just, I need more on the defensive side of the ball. I just see a Browns defense that just it just lacks anything in that second level. Without Miles Garrett, they are one of the worst defenses in the world. Absolutely crazy we're saying this. We all thought our defense was going to be so strong this year, and uh, now it's zero out of ten today. Terrible. Just terrible. Ian, where can people find your details? Ian19 on Twitter. Um, like I said, I'll start putting out some draft content as well. Um, just some guys that I really like in, in college football that I think would be good fits with the Browns. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm still on board with keeping Freddie around another year, letting him develop, giving him a full off season, and, you know, really just doing something that we haven't done here in Cleveland in a while. And that's just stick to some continuity, you know, let, let the front office fill in the, the holes that we need to fill and, you know, really just turn the page because 2020, I think, was kind of maybe the target year initially. So let's turn the page and move that way. All right. Well, I'm signing out. It's 11 o'clock here. I need to start making plans for the mountains. But it's been an amazing trip. It's amazing 
me and so many Browns fans, just so nice, so cool, so hospitality just been awesome. And yeah, it's just really shame that we're not we're not in the playoffs, we're not Super Bowl contenders, and we're just not there yet. Yeah. Well, enjoy that weather in Arizona because I assure you the next game you go to is not nearly going to be as nice. Well, I'm excited. But look, man, we've got loads to talk about this week. So, uh, yeah, I'll try and get you on again. And uh, Ravens next week, as people said, we may lose against the Cardinals, but we'll probably beat the Ravens. So, uh, hopefully this now happens that we beat the Ravens. That would be the microcosm of this that this season. Lose to the three nine and one uh, Cardinals and beat the damn Ravens. You know what's wild is, you know the last time the Ravens lost is when they played us? That's the last time they lost. Yeah. Crazy, eh? Week four. (laughs) All right, well, I'm going to shoot off and uh, get home safe, and we will talk soon. And most importantly, go Browns. Go Browns.